3: Hello the internet and welcome to season 241, episode four of Guy's <laughs> a Production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's Thursday, June 16th, 2022. What do we got, Miles? It's a couple National days before. National Fudge Day. National Fudge Day. You a fudge fan? That's what I was I was about to say is a couple days before. Uh, National Fudge Day. I, I I get jumpy around National Fudge Day. I'm always uh you know sometimes I miss it, but glad it's mean? finally here. National Fudge Day.
1: Do you like fudge? Yeah, I don't I don't, I don't dislike like either,
3: fudge. <laughs> you know I I grew up going to the to a boardwalk on the jersey shore mm-hmm. on a summerly basis and that was always the free samples of fudge never disappointed as opposed to the saltwater taffy uh which exclusively disappointed yeah. so it's yeah. yeah fudge delivers i feel like
1: it's like aren't some like so i feel like so packed with sugar like one yes. bite right <laughs> which is like one bite and you will like start hallucinating from the yeah. sugar it's wild because yeah, i man. remember vividly once eating a piece of fudge so fast and like my grandmother being disturbed yeah like being like how the fuck did you just eat all that and i'm like i'm a child who loves sugar and this might be the best thing <laughs> just i've ever fudge had all over your lips yeah.
3: mouth yeah well anyways my name is jack o'brien aka Keeping track of all the Mountain Dew flavors and the January 6th hearings, call me... Count Dooku. Oh, that is courtesy of yeah. Chris Barrera. And I'm thrilled to be joined, as
1: always, by my co host, Mr. Miles Gray. All the other kids with gazumped up scoops better <laughs> run, better run your dirt before I air it. All it the gazumped. other kids with gazumped up scoops better run, better run before my tabloid swears it. Uh, shout out to Scouty Magoo reference to that really awesome uh <laughs> was it the Sydney Morning Herald going after Rebel Sydney Wilson? Morning Herald We will drag you like, out if you don't say why something. they were
3: pissed that Somebody (laughs) outed themselves before they could, thus gazumping their story. Well, Miles, we are thrilled to be joined in our third seat by the hosts of the American Prestige podcast, which is a foreign policy podcast about the United States and all the friends it made along the way. Mm -hmm. A really great listen. Uh, I suggest everybody go check it out. They are Daniel Bessner and Derek Davison. What's up?
4: Hey, hey, Uh, uh,
3: hey, guys. Happy to be here. Happy to be here.
5: Thanks for having us. Good to have
3: you. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Where are you coming
4: to us from? Uh, Los Angeles, California, Echo Park. Okay. Uh,
5: Northern Virginia. I'm the only person living here who isn't a defense contractor. (laughs) 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 All right, Nova. Oh wow. That we know of. My understanding is you wouldn't be allowed to tell us if you were like
3: in the... Derrickson Op, actually. That's a big uh, (laughs) scoop here today. (laughs) Uh, We will try not to gazump it, although, you know, the Defense Department might come through. Yeah. Uh, had you guys ever heard that phrase, gazump, or that nope. word? <laughs> no, I just heard it for the first
4: really?
1: time. Yeah. Uh, Jack, is, it, a, is it a thing the kids time? are saying? I feel yeah. like, I, why the fuck have I heard gazump before? I can't be alone, alone in ever
4: And I'm a professor, man, and n- none of my kids have ever accused me of gazumping, or I've never heard each other, <laughs> you know, accuse yeah. each other of
5: gazumping. Is Is that bad? I mean, maybe you're not cool enough to be gazumping.
4: How dare you, Derek? Yeah. I'm well, I'm cool just enough. saying. I mean, <laughs> I can gazump. Miles is young and cool. You get to an age where
3: there's there's a very good chance that like, people know not to say gazump to us, maybe, but they're like, this guy looks like no, he could, it's like
1: regional. I think like it's like UK English or some sh- You know what I mean? Like, okay. that's why we're not hearing because it's not like a cool word. I'm just like, I just feel no, like definitely I, <laughs> no, definitely not. No, yeah. It is what it is. That's really funny. Cool.
3: Yeah. So, Daniel, you are a professor. Yeah. You, and Derek, you write about foreign policy. I'll just, you guys, yes. you guys know your shit, which we know our uh, is important to establish up top. Yeah. There's a slight contrast where yeah. we are not experts on the show. About, so.
1: We know about Mountain Dew. We yes. We know about Taco Bell. We know about mm-hmm. weed. We know about basketball. And we know something is terribly afoot in this country that's mm-hmm. about it
5: uh, but i mean those are all important things to know
1: exactly there's, yeah there's We're on, on the road that. to a new level of consciousness i would say
5: by the way i do want to uh, just kind of
3: put it out there for our listeners i will be doing a mountain dew tasting tomorrow i will have a spit bucket and i will be doing a mountain dew <laughs> tasting of a couple new flavors so after the headiness of today's episode you can look forward to that i think we got thrashed apple and we got another new flavor
4: Oh, no. So, they're doing the uh, extreme 90s thing still. They're doing oh, like man. radical blueberry. Yeah. <laughs>
3: nice. The 90s are alive in the hills <laughs> in of all Mountain of our hearts. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to get to know you guys a little bit better in a moment. First, we're going to tell our listeners a couple of the things we're talking about. Just uh, off the rip, I'm going to be like, hey, like, is there any hope for a leftist movement in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Hey, you guys, you guys know stuff. Is there any hope? cuz yeah i'm just genuinely curious it's something that comes up pretty frequently just the lack of a revolutionary imagination in the US so want want to get you guys' thoughts on that we'll talk about Coachella, night 3 we got louder milk which is a great name and yeah. he, he apparently gave some insurrectionists a tour the night before January 6th and no big deal nothing to see here
1: but yeah says the cops <laughs> and you're like wait yeah. hold on what uh, okay.
3: but So we'll talk about that, plenty more. But first, we do like to ask our guests, Daniel, Derek, what is something from your search histories?
4: So I was searching uh, Buchteln, which is an Austrian pastry, because one of my good friends, Megan Day... One of the best writers uh, on the left today, she writes for Jacobin, is in Vienna, so I was looking up things for her to see. She went to Freud's house, but I also thought she needed to get a, a little sweet in there, and that is a, a apricot-filled bun called Buchtelm. So if anyone ever goes to Vienna, strongly recommend you get it. What's
1: Hold on, what's they, the bun made of? What's the, describe the bun, the pastry. It's
4: like a, it's like a kind of a popover, like a a Southern popover, but it's filled with fresh apricot jelly. Uh, And it was at this famous cafe, I believe called the Cafe Havelka, where like all the Viennese intellectuals used to eat and it's still around. It's in the center of the city. And it's honestly the best pastry I've ever had in my life. It's truly fantastic. Okay.
3: Europeans really do a good pastry.
4: Split. Yeah, and I believe in France, the, the name for like small is, uh, pastries is pastries is because mm. the Viennese have really good pastries. And also, I would recommend the uh, Zacher tort if you're ever there; mm. it's also uh, really good stuff.
1: Okay.
3: The Spanish empanadilla is Spain. I don't think is very known for their pastries, but man, that shit is is really good. Okay. Just you put you put a piece of paper on it; it immediately becomes see through. <laughs> oh, that's just, what that's I like. How you know? But And it's filled with things that, like, don't typically go together in my day-to-day diet, like olives, eggs, tuna, tomatoes, tomato paste, and it just fucking
1: really goes. It's really good. I like that you said that it passed the Simpsons Dr. Nick test. Like when Homer's trying to gain the weight, it's just like, "Yeah, rub it, and if it goes see through, it's good." That's <laughs> it. right. Didn't oh, you put that's it on a, a wall, episode. and the wall became transparent? <laughs> He's at a crusty burger, yeah, yeah. And then a the bird hits. It. Anyway, that I'll always remember
4: that. <laughs> when you say it turns things see through.
3: <laughs> uh, Derek, how about you? What's something from your search history L- allow us to pry into your privacy?
5: Yeah, I googled the uh, plot of the new Jurassic Park movie. This is something I do when I <laughs> with, with sequels, when I've like seen one of the movies, like the first movie or whatever. But I have no desire to see the sequel. But I'm still like morbidly curious what the story is. So I just mm-hmm. like spoil myself,
1: and then I have no desire to actually go to the movies and see oh, it. Oh, I have mm-hmm. that same morbid curiosity, <laughs> <laughs> and it drew you in just when you thought you were out, Miles. Just when I thought I was out, Hammond's ghost pulls me back in. Damn, John Hammond! It was so bad. Was it really? Okay. Yeah,
5: but so so I did the right thing then. Googling. Well, here's the thing:
1: spoilers and Derek. And not I going. love a Jurassic Park movie, like because the first one's so good. I su- I will suffer every single one in the theater. I have the same like like the same philosophy with Terminator films. Like I will go to the theater. I don't care. I don't even if it's so clear that it's bad from the trailer. I'm like. It's still, it's still, a it's still a moment. <laughs> so I go, but this one has like a Tim Cook analog in it. That is so fucking weird. And just the, it, it touches <laughs> on like, what if there were dinosaurs? And then we're all back to a, a contained dinosaur thriller. Like every other fucking Jurassic Park movie. And you're like,
5: <laughs> it's like they just
1: stick they them in like a part out there. They're in the Dolomites in Italy. like in the mountains of italy there's i'm like wait hold on now we're in fucking italy with dinosaurs and i'm like whatever fine fuck it is there any
3: cool stuff up top with the like world now run by people be like just fleeing from dinosaurs
1: yeah the film opens with okay different news stories about our new world of you know cohabitating with dinosaurs and what do we do Man. with them. So like first it'll be premise. like little cutie dinosaurs at a parking like, yeah, wow. And then other ones were like a fucking stegosaurus like blows up a gas truck and you're like, yeah, maybe <laughs> not. So it's like that part, I was like, this is great. This is great. Yeah. Wait, is this gonna be good? Yeah. But you couldn't. So for you, Derek, like you just saw it and you like it enough that you want to know what happened, but not enough to subject yourself but, to two hours of yeah.
5: But your I mean your relationship with Jurassic Park sounds like mine was Star Wars. I mean, I've seen every, all, whatever. There have been 11 now. Yeah. Even I'm though, like, you know, maybe two of them were good. I've seen every one anyway. Right. And I keep, yeah, it's keep like weird it how
1: things from the 80s or 90s, I'll just pledge these blind allegiances to. And I'm like, <laughs> I am a guaranteed ticket sold for all of your terrible fucking output.
4: And I think that's because there's no outlet for politics. So we just pour it into culture. That's right. what yeah. I think is really going on there. You know, back in the day, people used to find meaning in associations and politics. But since there's really, I think, a lack of mass politics today, and Jack, that might answer your question a little bit, is just we pour all of our meaning into these cultural products that we we saw when we were kids and they made us feel good. And you know, we, we keep on trying to make it. We keep on trying to hit that sort of like heroin, dopamine button. Yeah. And each time it's a little less. It's a little less.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> right. I. Yeah, if you look at Jurassic Park as a vein you'd shoot up into, the first one, healthy as shit. That motherfucker was popping out. And by Jurassic World (laughs) Dominion, you're like, man, maybe there's some shit on the bottoms of my feet? I don't know.
3: Uh, It's mostly baby powder. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're going through the carpet just looking for... Yeah, anything. Yeah, Mashing up little pieces of... uh, flintstone vitamins i like a good heroin metaphor i like to just keep it going you know <laughs> yeah it, you know keep running as long as possible yeah that's what so i i mean I, i'm glad you mentioned that because I, I will be proposing my idea to have ryan johnson lead the leftist revolution the, the <laughs> director of the last jedi because there has been more anger and energy around uh the last jedi than i think maybe yeah any any political movement in my
1: lifetime whoever directed yeah. rrr too you know, maybe get a shot. At Did you watch party. it yet? I'm,
3: just fucking three. I'm, it's three hours, but it flies by.
1: I have Holy 45 shit. minutes left. So okay. it's, but it's yeah. all that to say, I cannot stop watching it.
3: Yeah. Have you guys seen RRR? On no, Netflix? but I hear it's
5: amaz- amazing. I, yeah, I haven't seen it yet either, but I, I like Danny, I've heard it's fucking good wild things. In like the yeah, best. Way. Pretty
3: what is something you guys think is overrated? Daniel, let's start with you.
4: The American Empire.
3: Mm. Okay. All right. I mean, we're we're pro American Empire in this podcast. Yeah, but, you know, hold on. What are piece, you trying man. to say, man? Whatever,
4: bro. Well, I think that's one of the just to get into our little podcast a bit. One of the reasons that we actually started it is because we think there's kind of a fawning coverage in the mainstream media about what the United States does in the world. And Mm. ultimately, there's this belief that I, I as a historian think has been empirically proven incorrect that the United States is military and economic power is going to be able to make the world a better place. And I think a lot of people really still believe that and they believe that out of the goodness of their hearts, but I just think for reasons we could go into that that's really not the case. And so I think that's really one of the most overrated things in American politics today. And do you think people
3: still actually like genuinely believe this? This actually I did, I did I did like a 20 minute chunk about how weird the like I hadn't listened to NPR in a number of years and then I like Started listening to NPR and I was just like so taken by how weird the voice is. And I, I, I think that like there's like some weird cognitive dissonance like thing happening with neoliberals. And like, th- I think they're like starting to understand like that it's all bad. But they can't. And so like now they have to like be talked to like this and they have to like have people explain the conflict in Ukraine to them like it's a fun wine picnic that they're planning. And like, yeah, I I feel like more and more people, it's like creeping in a little
4: bit. Absolutely, because it's just hard to deny. I I do think there's a big generational gap. But even if you look at statistics, I think uh, I might get this wrong, but it's something like 44% of millennials still think the United States should, like, run the world. That's pretty high still. You know, <laughs> roughly one in two. And if yeah. you go to boomers, it's, like, way higher. So right. I think I think the way that I view it, it's more the background assumption, the water people swim in, the air that they breathe. Yeah. It's not something yeah. that they think about, because I think very smartly, the United States Imperial State in the early 70s ended the draft. So if you're, like, a normal person, you're really not going to encounter the military and any Way, shape, or form, really, in your life, and so it just allows the empire to just kind of hum along in the background. Uh, yeah. So I think there's unquestioned support or an unthinking support for what we do in the world.
3: Another piece of propaganda that I think is very reflective of this is the new Top Gun movie, where wherein it's just they don't even pretend to mention another country. Like I think it's pretty clearly Iran, but like they are just like these are the bad guys. We they can't have nuclear weapons we we blow them up and it's just just baked in there yeah and it's so like faceless it's like a target range with just like bad guy pop-up you know
4: I, I think i think so and we actually just uh we did a special episode with chapo trap house uh, on our podcast we did top gun one and on their podcast we did top gun two oh, but right. one of the things that's interesting about that is that that's kind of how Americans view the world, right? Yeah, it's like, exactly. it doesn't matter who they are. Right. We're just going to fucking right. do whatever the fuck we're we want because we're America, yeah. goddammit. Yeah, we're the main character. Exactly. And so I think like it, it, that could be read as a form of critique. I don't think the intention of critique no. was there. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, from are yeah. postmodernist. The author is dead. So let's just say it's a critique one. Sure.
3: Right. Let's do it. How about you, Derek? What's something you think is overrated?
5: Uh, so I didn't, I didn't take this as seriously as Danny and I, I kept with the, mo- I stuck with the movie theme Go. go uh, and like, I saw that like the, the live action Aladdin was on TV the other night and I just thought <laughs> like these, these live action Disney remakes, I haven't seen one that was better than the like 1990s cartoon right, and right. I just don't get it. I don't get that. I mean, I know they make a ton of money. I get why they get made, but I just don't get
1: why people care to go see them. So I think they're, I think they're overrated an Aladdin the live action Aladdin just didn't pull at those heartstrings
5: no I mean it it really didn't and like I mean you know I saw I went to see the I remember I like going to the movies to see the Beauty and the Beast remake because my daughter was at that time of of the age where she was into that kind of thing and just watching it and like the whole time I, I couldn't stop going like why did why did this have to be made like what's the <laughs> point of this what, what was the purpose of making this and in the in the minds of the people who did it like what were they fixing about the the original and i you know you can't think about it think of it right
4: yeah did they mention a country at all or is it similar like broadly orientalist space
5: uh in aladdin mm-hmm. aladdin
4: yeah in aladdin because in the yeah, original I don't think it's they like
5: mention, i don't think they mentioned a country
4: yeah it's nice. a mix between arabia and like um pakistani
5: Well, the original got in in a ton of trouble. They had to like overdub lines and stuff because it was it was a little bit yeah. Hey, uh, hey, it's barbarous. Yeah,
1: that's where it's from. (laughs) The the place was called Agrabah in the in the in the animated version.
4: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and it's like uh, the Taj Mahal, but but in Arabia, kind of. If I recall, yeah, it's a it's a real just a mixing of of Muslim cultures. Don't worry,
5: (laughs) we're just over there. You guys, you know, (laughs) you guys remember a few years ago somebody ran a poll, and they asked like people, if they would bomb a particular oh, country and they included Agrabah, Agrabah and like yeah. a third of Republicans said they would
4: support bombing the nation of Agrabah. <laughs> yeah. But make it a democracy. You know, the, the Sultan is a monarch. You got to right. turn Agraba into a democracy. Uh, what is something
3: you guys think is underrated? Uh,
5: well, So I can go here because I have actually I think I have a serious one for this. Uh, okay. It was uh, I when I studied uh, when I was in grad school, I studied Islamic history and one of my favorite figures in Islamic history is a, a, a guy named Ibn Battuta, who is was a traveler uh, in the 14th century and traveled farther, if if you believe all of his accounts, traveled farther than anybody else has ever traveled, basically, in world history, before modern times when you could like hop on a plane. And it was just yesterday was his uh, the anniversary of the beginning of his Hajj, which he started from uh, Morocco, Tangier, and then just kept going after he did the Hajj all the way to China and back and i don't think enough people know about him uh, i think he's a very underrated uh, underrated guy for having traveled supposedly 73000 some something like 73000 miles in his lifetime although it's possible he made up parts parts of his tra- parts of his travel log but we don't know
3: oh, yeah God. that's my favorite thing about the history of like, explorers and, like, you know, the people who we lionize as great explorers. And I'm not saying this is the case with him, but, like, a lot of European explorers, you know, you you look at the things they were claiming to have seen, and it's like, oh, you guys are just, like, professional liars. <laughs> guys, right, right, right. And yeah, then and we are... met the three-headed people of the Amazon <laughs> who were 13 feet tall.
5: What? And yeah. yeah, yeah, it's
1: wild, man. But you'll never get there because you're poor. <laughs> Anyways, <so. laughs>
5: love Marco Polo. Yeah, I mean, like, this guy definitely traveled a lot, but there right. are some parts of his account, like the China part and... A couple of other kind of side trips that that some historians think he may have just cribbed from somebody else's description. Yeah,
1: I think travelers yeah. named Ibn, you know, because yeah. I I studied Viking history and there's uh, Ibn Fadlan who's like, oh yeah, Ibn Fadlan's a big one. Sure. It yeah, means who like,
4: son of right, Derek? It, yes, it, yeah, Ibn is son. Of, it's like Ben and he. There it
1: you. is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just was thinking of him as the guy who's like, yeah, and then I went up the Volga River and met the Vikings. You're like, what the
4: fuck? These People were yeah. getting like out like the Northman. <laughs>
3: Also, I'm just going to put it out there: traveler as a as a profession. Just like, hello, friend. I'm just a fellow traveler. I right. feel like that's always a nice, mysterious thing to say that I've never thought to of as a. I, it's, as an it's hard
5: to do now as a. I mean, like you know, <laughs> he was able to like go places, and he had training as a lawyer, so he or a you know kind of a, a judge, like legal training. So he was able to get like notes of good conduct all along the way to say like this guy knows what he's doing, and he could get jobs wherever he went. Uh, yeah. As like a as a a scholar or a judge, but I don't know. Nowadays, I people get like GoFundmes or something to like pay for my trip or whatever. But I don't, <laughs> right. I don't know what the yeah. the modern equivalent is of that. Yeah, it's a
1: Kickstarter or, for your travel yeah. blog. Yeah. Right, right.
5: Parachute sheets pays for
3: your
4: travel, whatever.
3: <laughs> How about you, dang
4: Derek took mine. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I was going to recommend a, a book called "The Tragedy of American Diplomacy." It's a really short book on U.S. foreign policy, but I think it really gets sort of at the major trends by a guy with a hell of a name, William Appleman Williams. So I uh, recommend people to check that out. William Appleman Williams, hell
1: yeah! I mean, aside from what's uh, for you, what sort of differentiates it, and why do you why do you suggest it?
4: Because it it really shows the economic basis of a lot of U.S. foreign policy, the search for export markets, uh, the search for capital intensive um, development aid and things like that. And so it was really influential when it was released in the 1950s. And it's just like a very short, very readable book that explores why the hell the United States does what it does in the world. Right.
3: Mm -hmm. So it tells you how the world actually works. Yes.
4: How the world. If it was released today, it would be like how how the world actually works. One of those like slate pitch titles. Right. right. How to explain (laughs) through this one cool thing how the United States does everything in the world. I believe slate pitch. That's probably a dated reference now. That's an elder millennial (laughs) reference. The kids are going to be like, what the fuck is slate?
3: So, we'd like to actually make this part of the Freakonomics franchise, if possible, <laughs> Mr. Williams. Uh, it will be Economic Forum markets. Uh, Mr. Appleman Williams, please. <laughs> Mr. Appleman Williams. Yeah. I mean, the Apple in his name could go with the, the logo of Freakonomics. Oh, yeah. You
4: could do W Apple W. There you go. <laughs> All
3: right. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: all lowercase, go to Shopify.com slash TDZ to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash TDZ. You like to watch new stuff, right, Zai I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump,
3: And we're back. <laughs> I was going to say, and we're good. We're good. <laughs> All right. So something we cover a lot on the show is just like the the lack of a revolutionary imagination or like an imagination for an alternative for how the U.S. could work without, without the current form of like hyper capitalism. And then we also have talked about, I've like kind of posited the theory that like there the public is generally just out on the current state of things, like, after the, like, 2008 collapse, and then just the continued persistent, like, evidence that like, the whole thing. It's just corruption all the way down. And we're being given, like, I, I think, logically, we should have two options. One would be a leftist alternative or like a socialist alternative and the other is fascism and it feels like sometimes fascism fascism is the only one that's like fielding a team in in the modern world which scares me. So I don't know you guys cover all sorts of very interesting stuff you're you're very uh, learned but you you know you've covered the history of leftist revolutionaries and you know countries that are more socialist than the US. So I just I just wanted to like kind of put that subject out there to you guys. Sure, guys's.
4: yeah, sure. Uh, well, I have a lot of thoughts about this. It's kind of what I focus on in my academic work. So I, th- I think there's a lot of things you got to focus on. One, things that we've been talking about in the general discourse, of course, like the Senate and the countermajoritarian institutions of the United States, like the Supreme Court, are kind of baked into the cake from the beginning because so, there's a skepticism of democracy and the mess just baked into the cake of the American state. And I think over the course of the 20th century what has happened, um, particularly after World War II, is that the actually existing American state that has been developed, particularly when we're talking about U.S. foreign policy and U.S. economic policy, has been specifically designed in a way to ensure that both ordinary people, what you just called the public, but also Congress, doesn't really have that much of an effect on on foreign policy and economic policy. And this was actually, uh, this is the period I studied, this was actually a conscious decision made by American elites, because when they were looking at the 1930s, they saw the rise of Fascism in Europe. They saw the, the rise of, you know, imperialism in Japan. They saw, in response to the Great Depression, a lot of labor strikes at home, and they became very skeptical of mass politics because it's really in the 1920s when you have the first type of real mass politics like the radio and all of those sorts of things allow people to form large collectivities. So, over the course of the 20s and 30s, they become very skeptical of this. And so, from the 1940s onward, they create a state in which ordinary people don't really have that much say. And I think that's the Experience that we're living in today—it's just—it's uh, just evolved into other directions. And so, uh, I wrote actually a piece for Derek's uh, Substack, Foreign Exchanges, called "The End of Mass Politics." Because I think one of the reasons that everyone feels like they're going crazy today is that all we do is talk about politics, but there's very little actual road to make political transformations. I said at the beginning of the of the show, this is why people are really interested in culture, but it's also why people are really interested in fighting online because there's no real way to actually channel your political energies into something meaningful. So if we're thinking about a leftist revolution or a, a change in actual like fundamental structures of the United States, I think we need to do like an old school 1930s power mapping and see where power lies. And right now, in the literal structure of the American state, power literally lies with several thousand people living in and around Washington, D.C., both in the government, like in places like the State Department and the Defe- uh, Defense Department, and then in nominally private institutions like Think Tank. Which are really just analogs of the government. So I think we need to really reform the structure before we could even start talking about making actual political and policy changes. So I think the lack of revolutionary consciousness and the channeling of a lot of these energies into, you know, ephemeral culture, you know, ephemeral arguing is just really a product of the literal reality that there's very few ways for us to actually shape politics. And I think that is what we need to be focusing on right now, actually making this country a democracy in a real way, actually bringing mass politics back.
3: Cool. So how do we do that? <laughs> <Just laughs> Star one is identify the no problem. Comment. Seriously, right, I think, I right. think there's yeah, a yeah. lot of
4: magical thinking on the left. Uh, I think we, we, uh, the, the way that I put it, and this is a little harsh and I'm being a little bit facetious, but like when we don't have an answer, we say organize, right? Right. But when we say organize, right, what does that mean? When people were organizing in previous moments in American history, they were organizing with like the the guy or the woman that they spent all day living next to working next to in a real community. What capital has done over the last 40 years is really reform labor relations so that you have things like the gig economy. You have things like where people are working three jobs that prevent uh, the solidarity upon which actional organization relies. So I think what the, the first thing to do is really just take a step back and look at how power actually functions and uh, look at how society actually functions. And from there, we could begin to develop actual strategies for how we can reform some of these very, very um, significant obstacles to any form of left-wing organizing or left-wing transformation. I think the problem also is the fact is that right now the left is really um, concentrated in basically people who went to college, people who are relatively highly educated. So there's a significant disconnect from the working class base, which is partially a function of this reformulation of labor relations that we really need to attack head on, or there's very little hope, I think, for left-wing transformation.
5: Mm. Derek, any thoughts? I would seize on, or I would kind of grab onto something uh, you talked about there, which was the concept of solidarity which used to mean something, I feel like, just like sort of organized, it doesn't mean anything anymore. Uh, the only times I, you know, most of the time I hear the word solidarity used is when uh, somebody is scolding the, the left in the U.S. for not taking some foreign policy catastrophe seriously enough. So there was a lot of this talk uh, with respect to Syria. You see it sometimes with Ukraine now, you know, this sort of like, uh, you're not doing it right. You're not approaching these issues with the right mindset. Well, okay, and then you know you sort of say, well, "What do you? What do you, is it that you would like the left to do?" And the answer is always something like solidarity without any meaning behind it. Like we're just supposed to feel solidarity with feel people harder, who are Derek. People. Yeah, feel <laughs> yeah. harder. I mean, that's that's really what a lot of this is. It's vibes politics. It's not real material politics. It's vibes. You know, I I I have. Little hope for a, a true leftist movement in the U.S. and even less, uh, despite you know, I know you 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 guys um, you know have talked about Gabriel Boric and in, in Chile and and some of the other kind of Latin American leftists that have come into power again. And sort of, uh, it's been a little bit of a wave uh, of late. Those those movements are are you know that they're great as far as they go. They're sort of optimistic. Uh, as far as they go, but it's the United States that, ultimately, especially in in the Western Hemisphere, sets the terms for how far any movement like that is allowed to go before there's right yeah, some kind of pullback. Change. And and in right. the Cold War, you know that would have been uh, a coup and and you know possibly the 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 murder of whoever was being a pain in the ass leftist. Uh, now it's sanctions. It's you know right. Cuba, the Cuba Venezuela model. You know, you can you can see it even in the the leftists who have been elected over the last couple of years. You know, really like sort of self moderating in a sense. You know, they run with these backgrounds that are of the left, but they they run on campaign. They run campaigns where the message is, "Don't worry, I'm not going to like change that much. I'm not going to nationalize anything. We're just going right. to uh, kind of make some reforms around the edges." And that message is meant for domestic political audiences, but it's also meant for the U.S. It's also meant for Washington. Like, don't worry, I'm not going to rock the boat too much. You don't have to treat sure. me like uh, Nicolas Maduro or, or, or the Castros. So, I, I, you know, I think as long as the United States maintains the kind of power that it has to affect global politics, and I don't mean like geopolitics, like politics, domestic politics in countries around the world. You know, there's always going to be a, a cap on on how far these things are allowed to go, at least in countries that are dependent on the U.S., whether it's for trade or, or a vulnerable to, you know, depend on the U.S. for military support or are vulnerable to the U.S. in a security sense. There's always going to be this limit on how far they can go. Do you are
3: you guys like encouraged by that kind of energy behind unions right now? like i have so one thing that like sticks out to me that that i hear from like people on the left even is that like the sanders campaign and like the inability to to get sanders the nomination in 2020 was like that was the last chance and now like it, it's kind of hopeless from this point forward and like It feels like the just the general, you know, the thing that we try to track on this podcast, the general zeitgeist, the American shared consciousness, like is moving in the direction like of socialism, like older people are dying every day and like young people are turning 18 every day and like their general outlook on the world, not perfect by any means, but definitely more sympathetic and like there's more energy on that front. And like that does, you know, that seems to be the thing that fuels these sorts of movements is like the students, just because there's like a reputation that like, well, students don't vote in America. It's like, well, probably for very good reasons like to this point but like i don't know it it just feels like there are things to be optimistic about within america at least in terms of like improving the odds uh, and improving the, the chances that we can like get socialist reform like in, in the country but yeah i don't i don't know like i don't have the specifics of like how that is done and it does seem like you know, the fact that you like identified the deep state. Well, that's something that like is being identified as a as a problem and like a holder of power, but it's being identified by like the fascists, you know?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. I I mean, I think there's always room for optimism and there's always room for hope because that's just the reality. I mean, the empirical reality is that things change over time. I'm a historian. Things change over time. So it's never, uh, I don't view what we're saying as black pilling necessarily. I just view it as trying to take a realistic strategic yeah, look neither. at the situation in order to change totally. it. I think a, a couple of things need to be recognized. The era of, you know, um, great revolutions of the first half of the 20th century and the second half of the 19th century, a lot of that was spurred by literal things like starvation and food. And one of the great developments of the 20th century is the Green Revolution, which allowed us to produce a ton of calories for cheap. So that's a big shift. I, and I think that that's not that's not something to be to, to be underestimated. The fact that people aren't hungry, the fact that, in fact, in fact, across the class spectrum, you could eat a lot of calories for relatively cheap is actually a huge obstacle in in, in, in in front of a um, revolution. Um, I think that's also true for cheap entertainments. I one of my big predictions that I've been making in the isn't that in the next 5 10 15 years you're going to see the legalization of a lot of vice, things like sex work, things like drugs because I think that's going to be a solve on on revolutionary political energies. It's not going to be a conscious choice, it's just going to be something that's going to happen. You're going to have vice and you're going to have cheap food and that those two are really big obstacles in favor of revolution. Um now in terms of of, of the of, of younger people that that's generally true but but a lot of the reason that's true is because younger people have time. And one of the things that capitalism does very effectively is that the penalty for not being in the system is like so bad. It's being unhoused. It's not having access to health healthcare. It's basically being considered not a human being. And I correct me if I'm wrong, Derek, but I think Tennessee just basically made it illegal to be an unhoused person. So I think you're going to be see things like that because when you're actually in the rat race of capital, you have very little time, one, to think about revolution, or two, to enact it. So before, one thing you actually hear throughout history is kind of like, not that the kids are gonna save us, but that there's gonna be revolutionary energy in younger generations, but oftentimes what happens is as they get a little older, that revolutionary energies are dissipated just by the dictates of the system. I am encouraged by Amazon and Starbucks unionization. Uh, I I hope that could happen, but I I think we just need to wait and see to to determine whether that indicates like a return to the 1950s where you had relatively high levels of unionization in the country. I think it's an open question, but it it is something hopeful and it's something that hopefully we'll be able to build on.
5: Yeah my my skepticism is is the the institutionalization of sort of counter revolutionary impulses is is just gets more and more entrenched uh, you know i mean anything from gerrymandering you know house districts to the the new hurdle in the senate now that you need well it's not that new anymore but you know that you need 60 votes to do anything a simple majority isn't enough anymore the court system increasingly is uh, you know has always been counter-revolutionary to some degree but you're talking about things that are being instantiated now that that are going to take a generation or more to be washed out and and to to have sort of these structures lifted so that there's room for serious change and i think danny's right that the the idea of the revolution to overthrow these things all in one fell swoop is is pretty far gone you talk about Over a longer term, yeah, there, you know, there could be some reasons to be optimistic, but then you start to run into things like, you know, are we going to get another pandemic that's worse than this one? Are we going to start? I know it's going to be decades before the United States really starts to feel the effects of climate change. It's happening already in some other parts of the world. But what happens when that really becomes a problem? You know, how does that change politics? And I think it inevitably is going to reduce the scope of people's thinking down to a more local level. And, you know, what am I doing just day to day to survive this, which makes the possibility of like large scale systematic change, uh, you know, it sort of atomizes everybody and makes it harder to to conceive of anything like that.
4: And I think you're going to see a return to liberal federalism. Where liberal states, because this is where populations are so concentrated, are starting are going to start defying the federal government. And That'll be very interesting, um, because for most of the last century, the centralized state was the focus of liberalism. But I think that it's been captured by so many reactionary interests that you'll actually see a return to what might be termed the state's rights liberalism. Um, I, I'm in California. I don't know where you guys are, but I, I think you're already seeing the glimmers of that. That'll be very interesting. That'll be something new in our lifetimes. Right. Mm mm-hmm.
3: I think, Miles, you were making the point recently that like a lot of the revolutionary energy we saw with regards to police and the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of that started really picking up and getting organized and making a like gaining national attention around the time that everything shut down like during the pandemic and right. like giving people time is exactly. like so, because so we important
1: took, because we took our foot off the pedal of capitalism and it right. wasn't crushing exactly. people anymore and they took a breath and they said fuck my what working conditions fuck, <laughs> fuck the this big thing.
4: transformation i think the big transformation at least for what it's going to be remote work people mm-hmm. are going to that people are going to accept that deal i think a lot of people are you let me not have to go to the office I really, I, I like work all day, but really I worked for three or four hours and I could live my life. I think that's a deal that that's going to be a deal that capital makes with labor. And right. I think that's mm-hmm. going to be, that's going to be a big thing. And it's not a surprise that you see unionization in the workplaces where you can't do that, where you can't right. be a Starbucks remote worker or an Amazon re- remote worker. Right.
1: Because yeah, most workers aren't remote.
4: Exactly. Uh, and you do have to recognize the second they could get AI to replace all those workers, they will now. that, And that's coming right. on the horizon relatively soon and we need to be planning for that if we're serious and and this is more than just like a sub subcultural identity like being a punk we need to be like ready for what that transformation which is coming very soon
3: and the way to be ready for that, I, I think we can all agree, is just when you see a robot in the, in the wild, you got to kick it over, right? Yeah. You got to kick that thing <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah. One of those dogs like those robot yeah, dogs. Yeah, one of those dogs. That that Beat a Roomba. Yeah, Kaiser now employs the, the big like hospital conglomerate out here, employs those. You see them rolling around the city all the time. Just kick that shit over. That's probably not uh, what you guys would recommend. But But
1: that is interesting, right? Because every like you're saying, like capital always has to find a way to kind of be like, fuck it. All right, let's give them that so it's not full-blown like, wait, what the fuck are the bosses doing? We need to fuck them up. Like what then I think, because that's why so many people are interested in like UBI and things like that. It's like, well, if they don't have fucking jobs, we can't just have hungry people out in the streets because that like you're saying, those are the little bit of seeds of revolutionary action and to keep people docile, I'm curious, like if that how that will be looked at, like how they are going to then support a whole other chunk of the population who isn't able to work because of automation and and how that's, you know, how they're going to subdue those people's appetites for something better for themselves.
5: I mean, I think UBI is a possibility, but it's going to come at a cost at the cost of something else. And I don't know what that is, but it'll come at the cost of some other part of the welfare apparatus.
3: Right. All right. Well, Derek, I know you have to run. We really appreciate you joining us. Yeah. Sure. Thanks for can having me. Can you uh let people and Daniel, you can stick around for Yeah, or, I can stick or, around or for however long here. you guys need. Okay, great. <laughs>
4: I got nothing going on, man. I'm my <laughs> teaching is done.
5: <laughs> nice. Derek, where can people find you, follow you, all that good stuff? Uh so there's the the podcast, American Prestige, which is uh, you know, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. But please come check us out. Uh, We're on Substack now. That's our home, Uh, AmericanPrestigePod.com. And while you're at Substack, you can also check out my newsletter, which is Foreign Exchanges, fx.substack.com. Those are the two places.
3: And CIA.gov, right? They can well, obviously, yeah, but you know, <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't like to talk <laughs> about that openly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, great, great meeting you. Thank you so much for coming on, and we'll be right back. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, have fun in Davos. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating Pride and the queer community all year. Queer-founded, queer-run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com.
1: You like to watch new stuff, right, Zygang? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new.
3: And we're back. And so the January 6th uh, House Committee hearing. Coachella. Coachella primetime event. Was it really postponed due to. Yeah. Like that dude not being able to make it.
1: No, no, no. Technical difficulties. They said technical difficulties. What? Yeah, they said they're the having What the fuck success. does that mean? Really? I have no fucking idea. I mean, they're fucking 90 years old, dude. Like, somebody probably misplaced a thumb drive. I'm like, where's that stick with the videos on it? <laughs> you know? And what we're like, fuck? fuck, we're fucked. They're the ones that are going to fucking... Oh, fuck. But yeah, it was postponed due to technical difficulties. And if you read the fine print on the poster for Coachella, you knew that it was subject to things like that. But they did... I think as like a consolation prize, released some footage of Representative Loudermilk from the state of Georgia. So I don't know if you remember right after January 6th, there was a member of Congress who was a former military that recalled another member of Congress giving tours. But to them looked suspicious because it looked more like recon than it did. Hey, and this is where I eat lunch. It was more like, right? yeah, man, like, look over there. Take a picture of this entrance or this tunnel. And that sort of raised some alarm bells. So uh, I I believe, let me just make sure it was, yeah, it was Representative Mickey Sherrill and Loudermilk filed an ethics complaint against this person, against uh, Representative Sherrill because of this allegation. In 2021, around that time, completely denied giving any fucking tours at all. Never gave a tour ever to anybody around then. The fuck are you talking about? Then this spring, he kind of revealed a little more. He's like, okay, fine. I may have given a tour to like a family with like some small babies or something, but that was it. Like, there's really nothing to see. And then he even went on to uh, Laura Ingram's racist shriek show to double down on the fact that he did absolutely nothing. And this is all just a bunch of hokum. And I just want to play you this because things begin to change for Mr. Loudermilk.
2: Then they say, oh, it was at the Capitol complex. There were hundreds of people in the Capitol complex, the House office buildings. In fact, it was the Democrat leadership ordered the gift shop open on the 5th because there were so many visitors there. So Mickey Sherrill's accusation that there were no tours allowed, well, there are no, no tours allowed of the Capitol, but there were plenty of people at the House office buildings because it was just another day. And now, when it comes out, and no mistake about it, the Capitol police were clear that they are trained in looking for suspicious activity, and the group I had in the House office buildings had did nothing suspicious. I mean, it was a total that lie. I'm just going to say a- on it.
4: Congressman, it was a lie. It was a smear. They did the same thing to Donald Trump
1: Okay, cut to Wednesday when the January Sorry, real 6th quick.
3: the yeah. the headline there on the Chiron was they smeared good men. Is that yeah. is that a play on words that I'm not understanding? They like mm. a few good men? No, they're, Was they're... that what they were going? They nice. smeared good men.
1: I feel they're they're completely out of ideas over there cuz they're like, man, we're going to have to fucking look at video of your <laughs> ass giving a tour in a second. But oh, they're just smearing you. I can't believe it. And so cut to now this fucking footage coming out as the January 6th committee describes it, quote, surveillance footage shows a tour of approximately 10 individuals led by you to areas in the Rayburn, Longworth and Cannon House office buildings, as well as the entrances to tunnels leading to the U.S. Capitol. Individuals on the tour photographed and recorded areas of the complex not typically of interest to tourists, including hallways, staircases and security checkpoints. So now he's out here being like, all right, so what? But they were they were there for the gift shop. It had nothing to do with any January 6th stuff just because that guy was wearing a MAGA hat. And then you also found out that one of the people on the tour was live streaming shit or posting shit to Facebook on the 6th talking about we're coming for you, Nadler, Pelosi. And those coincide with pictures they took in the Capitol. So it's Hmm. very it's like one of those things, too, like we're saying. Like that politics isn't like fucking real anymore because this guy is just he's been lying the whole time. He's on another show that's pretending to a certain group of the country that it's news and being like, it's all fake. It's all nonsense. And I even have this letter from the Capitol Police that says they didn't see anything uh, suspicious, which to me, I think, is actually the thing that sticks out the most at this point, because. He's like, they're trained into identifying things that are suspicious. I was like, it looked like some of them were taking selfies with. <laughs> with was that suspicious yeah. to people who broke into their job? Right. So I'm really curious now. You know, they say the next day will focus on Trump and Pence. But I'm like, the more and more we we look at it. And as many of us remember watching the events on the six being like, yeah, when's the day about the Capitol Police? Right. Like, do you have. Is that another day, too, where you'll talk about anything you s- that was determined to be uh, untoward or maybe aiding and abetting what was happening? Because that it's weird that this letter helps to, quote unquote, vindicate this guy who was giving a capital tour. Now, I don't know if it's because of their own incompetence and they have to say that just to be like, yeah, we saw that and we, it was it was fine. OK, maybe we completely fucked that up. But it's the same thing. I don't know. It reminds me of how like the police in Texas, too, are like, we can't show you guys body cam footage. Or else they're Wait. going to know our secrets.
3: Yeah, the I mean, this is being programmed. the The whole thing is being programmed by like an ABC News president, former ABC News president, who's like in charge of like the Martin Bashir interview with Michael Jackson. Like he he <laughs> he's a lower lowest common denominator guy. And I think the two decisions that it seems like they've made is, um, one to like the thing that really got people was like Kimberly Guilfoyle getting paid too much for her speech. Which is like women making money. Like they know they know Americans don't don't like that. So like I feel like they're doing all of this with like targeting like things and then they've decided to ignore the role of the police in this and just be like, Well, Americans love police. And in fact, we will put like one woman who was like run over by the rioters, like out front and center and like put make Build that sympathy. a heroic thing because like I, I think those are two assumptions they've gone on with. They're just trying to program this as much as possible like a Michael Bay movie.
4: I, I have a couple of questions for you guys. If that's is that cool? Yeah. 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 So so one, I I'm curious what you think of, of the fact that they're not gonna do any criminal anything. And then two, I'm just curious. so what's your take on on the event uh itself? Like like uh so just just to put my cards on the table. And this might be wrong, but i 'm always skeptical about sort of heating up political rhetoric in the society mm-hmm. uh, and as as someone who studied who studied coup attempts and and things like that in in the past i mean obviously, I think what happened was very disturbing, and particularly if you were a congresswoman in the building on the democratic side i mean very it could it could have been very dangerous and and, and incredibly scary. But I've always been skeptical about calling it a coup attempt because it just seems like it didn't have any of the features of what a coup attempt would need to succeed. Um, and it seems like this might be... And, and I'd love to hear if you think that I'm wrong. It seems like this might actually like channel energies in a direction that is not particularly helpful for achieving left-wing transformation. Uh, it's basically spectacle, not only spectacle, they're not even going to do criminal charges. So I don't know what I, from, so just to lay my cards on the table, I, I guess I'm a skeptic in that regard. I was just wondering what you guys, what you guys th- uh, think. Yeah. That.
1: I, I mean, I'm definitely skeptical. I'm skeptical of any time the American government is in charge of tackling extremism of any kind. So From that aspect, I'm like, this seems like a way to just basically try and push public sentiment in one direction or another. I mean, obviously, if if anything's you know, they're going to they can recommend things to the DOJ, but the DOJ has their own investigation happening where if anything's going to happen, it's probably out of that investigation rather than this like show and tell of like, remember how bad it was when like they were there? I think with like the cooch, I I, like, I think even with naming a coochella is very tongue in cheek, right? And I think for Americans, we had never seen anything quite so brazen on TV like that, that it just like, people were like, what the fuck was that? Uh, And I think because our like, probably our vernacular, the, the lexicon that we use to, in talking about politics is so all over the place that we're not even using the words that we even know to mean anything because we've we yeah, talked about like technical te- sense. Yeah, like a yeah, democracy right. even. Right. We're just like, well, if we really want to pick that apart. But I think for me, you know, the, the, as I saw it, was pretty much the audacity of powerful white people being able to say, yeah, there's a way we can just kind of keep, just do as we please. And I think that was what that's how that's what I saw. So I was like, wow, they they're the fucking law doesn't exist to these people at all. Because like you're saying, it was it was the sloppiest attempt at overthrowing an election when like drunk Rudy Giuliani is running point. So in that way we were saved by their ineptitude and their just like like weird magical thinking. But, yeah, I mean, I guess that is that isn't a a, a a dimension I had really thought about of like what the like rhetorically what that would do, because, yeah, it, I do get the sense or it's very clear that, you know, conservatives or people on the right. want to just as easily categorize any kind of action from protesters fighting against capitalism as like an insert, like using all of these other words to kind of just like nullify the the importance or like what people are fighting for, for sure.
4: Yeah, or like the emergence of new domestic terrorism laws. Oh yeah, absolutely. That'll be used against the left more ninety percent of the time, you know? So yeah, it's just an interesting moment because it was obviously so dramatic that it's of course it's going to be a central thing. But I, I just I'm worried about sort of the channeling of energies into something that's pure spectacle when we should be focusing on, especially now that this is the criminal thing. And I don't think the DOJ is going to do anything because no one wants to start that precedent. I mean, when Biden, when Biden loses when the Dems lose in the midterms, he's going to be impeached three times. That's yeah, gonna, right. that's the new norm. The new norm is now the president's going to be impeached. Right. So I don't think that the DOJ is going to prosecute because none of them want to go to jail. Let me that's why they never prosecuted Bush, anyone in the Bush administration for violating not only international but domestic laws. So I think it's a it's a very interesting moment and it's good to be, you know, to be able to talk about it in that sense.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I, th- I think I think it's also important for people to, like, see how disgusting it is too. like how you're saying, like, we saw some fucking terrible shit and nothing. Is going to be fixed, and I think getting people familiar with that pattern is also pretty important because you will see. Hey, are you like trying to protect a like an unhoused community or pushing back against police violence? They'll fucking shoot you in the eye, right? But if you're there saying MAGA and fucking America first, you're getting selfies, right? You know, and yeah. I think that. And I and I, I mean that is that much is clear. I think to most of our listeners, but. Yeah, there are there are many other dimensions to it that as we I think because, like you're saying, we have most people are experiencing a reality where there's no ability to, to affect change. Then we have these weird moments where people want to put all their ba- eggs in the basket
4: where it's like Mueller time. Exactly. Russiagate, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Got I him. Mean- the myth of fucking steel dossier. I do feel myself,
3: like, pulled in two directions because I I do worry about fascism fascism in this country and, like, a belief that, like, it can get much worse because... Oh, it can get worse. (laughs) Like, it can get worse, and I think it will get... Like, that is the path we are on, is it getting way worse because, like I said, there are two paths for America to go forward. I don't think that, like... And it sounds crazy and probably might be a little bit like extreme, but it really feels like the energy has just gone from the like neoliberal, like let Wall Street lead type kind of ideal that was considered mainstream in America for so long. And now like you could go left like democratic socialist or you could go in the direction of fascism. And the. like America, like I, I've been using this metaphor of like having like America having an immune system and like America being absolutely allergic to anything that is like slightly socialist and being very welcoming of things that are fascist. And like I I just I feel like so seeing these things like I, I see seeing like what happened on January 6th, like it's still like. I I think it's serious because it's an indicator of where things are headed and how much worse things can get in in this country. Like, I think that's where the seriousness and like my attention to it is coming from. Um, Not necessarily that like they almost they were like right there and could have overthrown it, but just like that, this this seems to be what the country is more comfortable with than any sort of even like. Soft socialism.
4: Absolutely. In in this country. That's that's fair. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's all very it all comes together and we just look and we're like, wow. Because also, too, you think about all these people now, these MAGA QAnon people who are sending into positions of like secretary of states or being able to now have like their hands on the votes and stuff. You're like, oh, my God. Like, it's wild. They're really like they're really going for it. And yeah, I, it's it's odd to see just a lack of urgency about being like that's on a very basic level, not good to have people who are outwardly being like, I don't believe reality and I will determine who, you know, what votes mean or I'll have a lot of influence potentially in an electoral decision. And those things, yeah, they all come together. But I think with the reason why America, is, I think, is just more open to power, f- just like when you put two things in front of like the American consciousness, it's like, What's the one that's more aggressive and dominates the week? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of more our vibe since the beginning. And so anything that's like about empathy or being like, no, like we need to we need to take care of each other. Like, what the fuck is that? I never heard of that.
4: I also think uh, an important thing to think about is like what looks more fun. Because I think generally there's like more despair in American society. Like people just feel totally disconnected from power. They feel totally not in charge of their lives. And I think the big appeal of someone like Trump is that he channeled all of those in a direction that seemed like almost jester like, you know, Mm. like that that seemed more more fun. And I, I do think that we on the left need to embrace that element of fun, not in obviously a horrible, racist, disgusting way like someone like Donald Trump or or Ted Cruz or some. Well, Ted Cruz is not fun. He just can't fake it. But I, I do think like, that's an important element of politics that we never talk about. It ha- it has to be like exciting when you go to a protest and you chant it like feels good. It feels fun. It feels good to be part of something. And I think that we've we've sort of ceded that territory. Um, And that's not I don't think that's good for for political strategy or, or particularly winning over people who don't really pay attention to things. But we need to get anything done in this country. Right.
1: So come to our leftist Coochella. It's going to be a really fun (laughs) event, y'all. We're going to exchange some radical ideas and march on the Capitol.
3: (laughs) Uh, Well, Daniel, it's been a real pleasure having you. Where can people find you, follow you, uh, all that good stuff?
4: Uh, Sure, on Twitter, at D. Bessner and American Prestige. Please like, subscribe, review, listen. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for having us on.
3: Um, is there a tweet or some of the work of social media you've been enjoying?
4: Oh, yeah. Under the Banner of Heaven. Have you guys been watching that show?
3: No, I haven't. Oh, it's but really heard, good. I've it, heard things, a lot. Yeah, yeah. People been It's
4: really about it. good. I strongly recommend it. It's really interesting. And I uh, people should check it out.
3: I love Andrew Garfield. I liked the book when I read it. And I love any story that takes place in the,
4: you know, Latter-day Saint community.
3: The, what, what do they prefer to be called?
4: uh lds there's the latter day saints lds yeah uh, yeah the lds and yeah this is this is basically about a radical uh group so it's Sept. it's pretty yeah. interesting
1: oh oh, yeah, yeah. oh the what oh, are you talking about the netflix documentary i, I blanked out for a second what are you talking, or the book about it
4: uh no just the the fictionalized representation. the show oh are they like, like the are Andrew they like Billard flds Field.
1: kind of people in this one like fundamental
4: I don't think they're FLDS, but they're they're because In they that, talk about like the differences between FLDS. I think, but they're yeah, they're basically a radical breakoff group.
1: There is so much like LDS stuff going on right now. There's like that Netflix documentary uh, too about that FLDS community. Whew. Uh
3: Miles, where can people find you? with a tweet you've been enjoying?
1: Uh, Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Miles of Gray. If you like basketball, check out the latest episode of Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties, where we distract ourselves with sports. And if you want to hear me distract myself with reality TV, check out 420 Day Fiance, where, you know, we just trying to zone out on something. A tweet I like is from Amy at LOLNUEE tweeted, Oh, we're in a bear market? Well, I think we're in a platypus store. That's what you sound like. That's you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, tweet I've been enjoying. No context. Brits tweeted a picture of a Big Mac that has a label on the side that said 100% British and Irish beef. And they just tweeted the troubles. <laughs> that was a good one. I saw that. Oh, actually,
4: at American Prestige, we're doing a long history on the IRA. So this, oh, really? this, this week on Saturday, we're releasing our third episode on the history of the IRA. So if anyone's interested in Irish history, please check that out. There you
3: go. You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Zyka. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes. Oh, no. Where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. Miles, what song do we think people might enjoy?
1: This is a group called Polo and Pan, and they are a, like a Parisian duo. And they, it's just, it's like very cinematic. Sounding. You know, I like music where like when you listen to it like it immediately sets off like your visual imagination. And this is a track called Le Jolie Chosé. and I'll look. I'm not a good French speaker, but I'll say it like an American. Les jolies choses. Okay, if you wanted to google <laughs> that shit by Polo and PAN PAN. But it just sounds like you're in like some you know, French new wave film or something, but it just got—I don't know—it's—it's—it's it's, it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. So, so put that in your ears on this wonderful Thursday.
3: All right. Well, the Daily Zygotes is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Yep. That's going to do it for us this morning. We're back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we'll talk to you all then. Bye.
1: Bye.